Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to What The Bump. Today we are going to talk about delayed cord clamping and I'm also going to touch on cord blood banking and cord milking. So let's start off this episode talking about delayed cord clamping what it is, why we do it, risks, benefits, should you do it, and all those types of things. Delayed cord clamping is just like it sounds. It's basically delaying the clamping of the umbilical cord after delivery of the baby for anywhere. Different organizations define it differently, but basically it's anywhere from 25 seconds delaying to five minutes or until the cord stops pulsing. And usually the placenta is still in utero while this happens and it is just the delaying of cutting that umbilical cord. You might have never heard of delayed cord clamping or why we do it, but why we really do it is because nearly one third of the baby's blood volume resides in the placenta at birth. So one third of the blood that the baby needs is still in the placenta and half of that blood is transfused into the baby by one minute of age when we delay the cord clamping and by three minutes of delayed cord clamping, more than 90% of that blood is transfused back into the baby completely. The World Health Organization defines this as delaying umbilical cord clamping and cutting it no earlier than one minute after birth, and they say that it is recommended for improved maternal and infant health and nutritional outcomes. And I will make sure to link all of the links to the studies I talk about and links to the World Health Organization and ACOG because I did pull some information from their sites as well, so that will be all linked in the description of this podcast. So I already said that we delay the cord because about one third of the baby's blood is still in that placenta and in that cord. So we delay it to deliver that blood back to the baby. That's really the simplified version of it is that we just want the baby to get all of its blood. And so if we delay it, you can literally feel if you ever get the chance to feel the cord or even see it, you can feel it just pulsing. And it's the baby's it's the baby's heart rate really is what you're feeling. But as it pulses, that blood is going back into the baby after the baby is delivered. So when we just clamp and cut that cord immediately after delivery, up to a third of that baby blood is still going to be in the placenta and in the cord that we just severed its connection to. Delayed cord clamping used to primarily be done with preterm infants. It was thought that it was very important for preemies to have the delayed cord clamping, but now we are doing it way more often in term infants. And honestly, it at my hospital, it is a standard of care to delay the cord clamping if and whenever possible. In term infants, delayed umbilical cord clamping increases their hemoglobin levels at birth and improves their iron stores. So basically it increases obviously the amount of blood that the baby has and their iron for the first several months of life. And that's huge. I mean, to have the long-term effects of the delayed cord clamping go over several months of the baby's lives. And a lot of people think, oh, it's not that big deal. You can get iron and all that stuff in breast milk. And that's actually not true. Unfortunately, breast milk does not have a very significant amount of iron in it. So delaying the cord clamping will help to increase the iron stores that the baby has. Now, like I said, preterm infants was really the main highlight of delayed cord clamping. In preterm infants, it seems to be even more important to try to delay the cord clamping. Delayed umbilical cord clamping is associated with improved circulation during their first few transitional hours of life. It also results in higher red cell volumes, which kind of is same in the term infant, it'd be increased hemoglobin levels, improved circulation, decreasing the need for a blood transfusion for the premature babies later on, and lowering the incident of necrotizing enterocolitis that's just a mouthful but necrotizing enterocolitis is basically it affects preemies mainly but it's where the walls of the intestines in the baby gets invaded by bacteria and can cause a lot of harm to the walls of the intestine and to the bowels so delayed cord clamping has been shown to lower the incidence of that as well as intravascular hemorrhage which is just bleeding inside and around the ventricles of the brain in babies 
So for premature infants, it is a no-brainer. Delayed cord clamping is very, very beneficial for them. A lot of people argue that there is a small increased risk for jaundice when you delay the cord clamping. So jaundice, if you don't know, that's where the baby's bilirubin levels increase. They, The classical kind of thing when you think of jaundice is yellowing, like yellowing of the skin, yellowing of the whites of the eyes. And that's where those babies go under those blue lights, like the phototherapy lights. And there is a small increase, small increased risk of jaundice with delayed cord clamping. However, we monitor jaundice and bilirubin on babies so closely already in the hospital and even even at your pediatric visits they will monitor this so really the risk is not significant because it's monitored and it's very easily treated with the billy rubin lights and phototherapy Another argument for delayed cord clamping used to be that they thought it was associated with an increased risk of postpartum hemorrhage and that has also proven not to be true Delayed cord clamping has not been proven in any studies to show that there was an increased risk of postpartum hemorrhage or an increased risk for more bleeding at delivery or a higher amount of blood loss. So I said about a third of the baby's blood can be left in the placenta and cord at delivery if you clamp it right away. So there are a couple studies that kind of give you more, I guess, more like exact numbers. And I just thought they were kind of cool. So they say that it can be up to a 60% increase in red blood cells and a 30% increase in total neonatal blood volume, which would be like that one third, 30%. And then a, another study that used a a, um, that used a Doppler ultrasound to actually look at the umbilical cord flow patterns during delivery and during delayed cord clamping showed that there was a marked increase in the placental transfusion during the initial breaths of the newborn. So that's to summarize that up, basically it's saying they took an ultrasound, they kind of watched what the umbilical cord did as the baby was delivered and as they took its first breaths. And when the baby breathed, the umbilical cord started pulsing more and giving more blood back to the baby. They estimated that about 80 milliliters of blood comes back into the baby by one minute of life and then reaching about 100 milliliters of blood at the three minute of life mark. So when it comes to delayed cord clamping, this can be done in a vaginal birth, a C-section. It can really be done in most births as long as there's not a significant risk to the mother and baby. So as long as mom is doing okay, baby comes out and baby is doing okay, we can delay the cord clamping. And there are some barriers to delaying cord clamping that I just wanted to touch on. The number one most common is need for neonatal resuscitation or infant resuscitation. So that's when, you know, your baby comes out and maybe they aren't moving too much. They aren't, they just need a little extra help. They might need some extra oxygen. They might need some extra stimulation. And that is the number one cause. I would say almost always when my babies do not get delayed cord clamping that I help deliver at the hospital, it is because they need some extra help. They just come out a little bit stunned sometimes. So in that case, almost always the doctor will immediately cut the umbilical cord and we will take the baby over to the warmer where the nurses can work on him or her and kind of maybe give them oxygen, some stimulation, check the oxygen saturation, check their pulse, check their heart rate, check their temperature, kind of allows us more room to work on the baby if we can cut that umbilical cord very quickly. Again, that's the number one barrier to having delayed cord clamping and it definitely stinks when that happens, especially when it's really hard set in your birth plan. I want delayed cord clamping. I want my baby to get all the blood back that they can. It really does stink when that happens, but you need a healthy mother and healthy baby and delayed cord clamping, not having that will not be the end of the world. It will not cause your baby harm or anything like that. We really just need to make sure that your baby is healthy and gets the appropriate care immediately that they might need. Another barrier to having delayed cord clamping is an abnormal placenta or an in inadequate placenta blood flow that would kind of make delayed cord clamping ineffective. So something like a placental abruption, which is where the placenta pulls off the wall of the uterus. In that case, normally baby's in distress, mom is normally in distress, and the placenta is not even attached to the uterine wall. So a lot of times we do not do delayed cord clamping in those situations because that is more of an emergency. 
Other times where it's not done, emergency sections due to fetal or maternal distress. So I did talk about how the, the baby distress might cause not having delayed cord clamping, also maternal distress. So if mom's having a lot of bleeding, hemorrhaging, or is just in an emergent state, then we will not do delayed cord clamping. We will cut the umbilical cord, take the baby away. That way we can work on mom and not really have to worry about the baby at that time. And the two last barriers to not having delayed cord clamping are going to be a provider being inpatient and the fear of not having skin to skin immediately. So the first one, providers being inpatient. It is true. Some providers are inpatient. They don't want to wait for the cord cord to stop pulsing. They just want to do the delivery. And some of them might not have been trained to do delayed cord clamping. It might be a newer practice. And we know that a lot of times in medicine, it does take a very long time for everybody to get on the same page and the same boat and kind of make this a standard care of practice. So some providers, if you don't specifically ask for it, they might be impatient and they might just cut the cord right away. And the other one is fear of not having immediate skin to skin. So some people will say, well, I don't want delayed cord clamping because I'd rather have immediate skin to skin and I can't have both. And that's not really true. I think people think that gravity plays such an important role in delayed cord clamping that like we that, you know, if, it, if you think about it, bringing the baby up onto your chest after delivery would make your baby above, above the placenta and above the umbilical cord. So they think that well, my baby won't even get all the blood that way. So I can't have skin to skin and delayed cord clamping. And you can. Gravity does matter, but in this, it more so matters in the speed, like the speed of the transfusion. So the blood will still come back into the baby with the baby higher than the umbilical cord and the placenta skin to skin on you. It will still it transfuse back. A baby held below the level of the placenta will, re- will receive the full transfusion. They estimate in about three minutes. Whereas a baby held above the placenta, example of that would be immediate skin to skin contact on your chest will also receive the full transfusion it just takes longer it can take about five minutes instead of three minutes for all the blood to fully transfuse back but you still can have immediate skin to skin and delayed cord clamping all in one so those were like the hard facts on kind of why we delayed cord clamping and then some evidence talking about the outcomes so i will also link these but in 2013 cochrane harvard cochrane cochrane i don't know i say cochrane i don't know (laughs) but they reviewed and assessed the effects of timing of the umbilical cord clamping on term neonatal outcomes in 15 clinical trials involving almost 4,000 women and their infants. So they defined early umbilical cord clamping as less than one minute, and then late umbilical cord clamping as clamping more than one minute or when the cord pulsing ceased. So they are comparing these two, before one minute, after one minute, and comparing the outcomes. So they found that early umbilical cord clamping group had significantly lower hemoglobin at birth. It was about 2.7 grams per deciliter less. And that's kind of how we measure hemoglobin. A normal is about 13 to 19. And they found that it was about two points less when they clamped the cord before one minute. They also found that at 24 to 48 hours of birth, there was still a difference, a little bit less, but it was about 1.5 points lower than the group who had it clamped after one minute. At three to six months of age, infants who were exposed to the early cord clamping were more likely to have iron deficiency compared to the infants who were had the late cord clamping, which would have been longer than one minute or until it stopped pulsating. Jaundice requiring phototherapy was less common among the infants who actually had the early delayed cord clamping. So like I said earlier, some people worry, well, if we delay the cord clamping, my baby's going to have high bilirubin levels and they're going to get jaundice. That did prove true in this study. It wasn't very significant. It was 2.74% in the babies whose cords were cut early and it was about 4.36% in the babies whose cords were cut after one minute. So yeah, it definitely is an increase from 2.7 to 4.3, but that's still such a low percent. 4.3% is still very low. And like I said, jaundice is very easily monitored and treated. 
The study stated at the end that the benefits of delayed cord clamping are much greater than the easily treatable jaundice risk that increases. So that is my summary of delayed cord clamping. And like I said, I mean, if I haven't convinced you already, delayed cord clamping is really important. Whenever it can be done, please always advocate for yourself and try to get your provider, your midwife, your doctor, your family doctor, whoever delivers you to delay the cord clamping. It does not really pose increased risk to you or the baby whatsoever. It's very beneficial for the babies even later on in their lives for months after. They can have more blood volume and they can have higher iron stores. And all we're talking is minutes. It's not like, you know, it's not like you're delaying the cord clamping for 30 minutes and, you know, you deliver the placenta and you got to leave it all attached. I mean, some people choose to do that, but you do not have to do that. I'm just talking minutes. One minute even is great start. If you can delay your cord clamping for up to three minutes to five minutes or whenever your provider feels the cord stop pulsating, that is going to be the best amount of time. So very quickly, let's touch on cord milking. So we're going to kind of switch gears here. Still kind of the same concept, but kind of not the same, umbilical cord milking. So we're talking about cord clamping, just the time that we clamped the cord and dad cut the cords, basically. Now this is cord milking. So umbilical cord milking or stripping is what it's also been called, is considered a method of, they try to increase the placental transfusion to the newborn in a rapid time frame. So they usually are trying to milk the cord in 10 to 15 seconds. And they say that it is good for circumstances where the 30 second mark might be too long. So like, let's say immediate, your baby comes out, they might need some extra stimulation, some extra oxygen. So instead of your provider just clamping and cutting the cord because we need to get that baby over to the warmer to get help, they will milk the cord. So they kind of strip the cord in a way, trying to push as much blood as they can back into the baby in about 10 to 15 seconds and then they clamp it and then they cut it. Umbilical cord milking has definitely not been studied as in-depth as delayed cord clamping has whatsoever because umbilical cord milking is, it's just more rare, I guess. Like it's hard to study it because the infant has to come out of, the infant has to be born and kind of in a distress and then very quickly try to milk the cord and cut the cord. So it's, it's just harder to study. It's not as controlled and there has not been in-depth studies. It's still very ongoing. However, they did find that the two strategies, which would be cord milking and delayed cord clamping, did have similar effects on hemoglobin and iron levels. Again, this will be linked in the notes of this podcast, but there was a recent meta-analysis of seven studies that involved about 500 preterm babies, and they compared umbilical cord milking and immediate cord clamping or delayed cord clamping, which was had one of the studies with delayed cord clamping also included. However, they did find that the newborns that had the umbilical cord milking had higher hemoglobin levels and a decreased incidence of the intravascular hemorrhage, which is what I talked about earlier, the bleeding around the brain, and it did not have any adverse effects. So overall, they did find that the cord milking was better than just immediate cord clamping. However, delayed cord clamping definitely is still the best because you do have a way more consistent result of increasing the hemoglobin and iron levels in the baby. The World Health Organization did come out with a statement actually on delayed cord clamping and milking, and they said that delayed umbilical cord clamping should not be confused with milking of the cord. The terms are not necessarily synonyms. Milking refers to the physical expression of blood from the umbilical cord into the infant, and there have been various recent studies addressing the effects of cord milking at different times after birth with a variety of milking times associated with early or delayed cord clamping. These studies need further analysis as cord milking has been proposed as an alternative to delayed cord clamping, especially for preterm infants. 
I don't think I've ever really seen in my practice cord milking. I mean, maybe once or twice when a mom really wants delayed cord clamping. However, the baby is needing some help after delivery. So we just kind of push some blood up there as quick as we can. And then we clamp and cut it just kind of hoping to give the baby a little bit more blood. But it's definitely not very commonly practiced. Like this said, I mean, there's just not many studies on it. And whenever you can, delayed cord clamping has definitely been proven to be way more consistent and resulting in infant benefits. The very last thing I wanted to touch on was cord blood banking and most of the information because honestly I don't know much about cord blood banking I'm learning right along with you guys every single podcast I make I do so much research but I pulled most of this from the John Hopkins Children's Hospital it was an article that they had published that I will also link but cord blood banking is the painless process of collecting and storing your newborn's umbilical cord blood so the cord blood is rich in and excuse me if I pronounce this wrong hematopic hematopoietic hematopoietic it's definitely hematopoietic i don't know stem cells let's just call them hsc hematopoietic stem cells hsc so the umbilical cord blood is rich in hscs and they can be used for an ever-expanding number of medical treatments and these hsc stem cells are so valuable because they have the ability to become any type of blood cell or blood component in the human body so it's actually really really cool they can be transmitted to so many different things that your body needs. So today they are approved by the FDA to treat more than 80 serious medical conditions. They are blood forming cells that can treat things such as leukemia, lymphoma, aplastic anemia, severe sickle cell disease, and other severe combined immunodeficiency diseases. They also can be used and are what is actually required for a stem cell transplant. So you're probably thinking, why would I do this? How would I do this? What are the costs? What really is this? So cord blood banking is basically where we take some of the blood out of the umbilical cord and we bank it. So what you have to do for this is you have to bring the kit to the hospital, at least most hospitals. My hospital, we do not provide cord blood banking kits. It's something that you have to do on your own. You have to bring the kit in whenever you come in for labor. And then the nurse and the doctor will kind of go through it to better understand what exactly is needed by your carrier. After collection of the cord blood after delivery, very painlessly, like it said, we just draw some blood out of the umbilical cord as it's still pulsating. So we do have to do it pretty quick after delivery to make sure that there's still blood left in it. The cord blood is taken by your carrier to the cord blood bank. Once it's there, it is given an identification number. The stem cells are separated from the rest of the blood that we drew out of the cord and they are stored and like frozen in this liquid nitrogen. And this can be done after a vaginal delivery or a C-section. You bring the kit to the hospital, like I said, or sometimes the company will drop it off when they find out that you're in labor. They'll bring it and drop it off to the hospital. Within hours of delivery, normally they come and also pick it up. So it is definitely, if you do it privately, not a cheap process. I've only had one patient ever do it that I've cared for. But like an hour after birth, somebody in the middle of the night from the company came and picked up the box of the cord blood kit. So like I said, the doctor and nurse will draw the blood at delivery. We'll follow the kit instructions on how to bank it, what tubes it goes in, and kind of figure out whatever else that your cord blood banking kit requires. There are different types of banking. So you can do a private or I believe it's called private and public. Private banking is held for you and your family and your baby. That way you can use it later if any diseases arise. So I believe that it's mainly for the baby. If like your baby gets leukemia, they can go back and pull those stem cells and they can try to fight the disease and help with it. I believe it also can be used for family members as well. But private banking, from what I understand, is very expensive. You have to pay a monthly fee, almost like a rent of storage for them to store your cord blood. 
And honestly, in general, it's not really recommended because they say that the payments and the expenses of doing private cord blood banking are so great that it outweighs the risk that your baby ever is going to really get leukemia or sickle cell disease or severe aplastic anemia or need a stem cell transplant. So it's really, if you have, I guess, some extra cash to throw around and you know you really wanna protect your kid for the long term, you can do a private cord blood bank. They will hold that cord blood and that baby's stem cells until you might need them frozen in liquid nitrogen. The public cord blood banking is usually free because they actually just take your cord blood and you're donating it. So I don't believe you can withdraw it later on. And again, this is also kind of a rare form. Cord, cord blood banking in general is definitely becoming more popular. However, I have not seen it very often at all. So I obviously do not know a ton about cord blood banking. I did pull most of this from a cord blood banking like site, like an actual company that does cord blood banking. And I will also link that and from John Hopkins. But what I really wanted to talk about just because we are talking about delayed cord clamping and I did have them ask me, well, let's not delay the cord clamping because we need we need all the blood for the cord blood banking. So talking about can I still have delayed umbilical cord clamping if I want to do cord blood banking? The question the answer is kind of you can but it's not really recommended so they found that delaying the umbilical cord clamping significantly decreased the volume of total cells that were accounted for to go to the cord blood banking so when they did not delay the cord clamping they clamped it immediately they withdrew the blood and they sent it to the cord blood bank they found about 39 percent of the blood that was sent to the cord blood bank could actually be used and separated and stored now when they delayed the cord clamping they found that only about 17 percent of what was sent over was actually able to be kept and stored and that was at a 60 second delayed cord clamping immediate cord clamping will definitely yield more cord blood to obtain and to donate or to store but however the benefits of the infant having the transfusion of that additional blood at birth are likely going to outweigh the benefits of banking that blood for the possible future use. So that's what I kind of touched on that it's not really recommended because your baby getting that blood immediately after birth is probably going to have more benefits than the off chance that later on in life, they might need it for a rare disease or a stem cell transplant. And here's a little statement that I actually found on one of the banking sites. It was actually called Parents Guide parentsguidecordblood.org. So they said that due to the need for a high stem cell count and current transplant procedures, the percent of cord blood collections that qualify for storage in public banks is low. When you add delayed cord clamping, the percentage of collections that actually qualify for storage decreases as the length of delaying the cord clamping increases. For this reason, parents should be very aware that delayed cord clamping may prevent their cord blood donation or cord blood banking from meeting the thresholds. So that's basically saying, that delaying your cord clamping is going to possibly prevent your cord blood banking from being successful. So those were the three things I really wanted to hit on. Delayed cord clamping, cord milking, and cord blood banking. Just to recap, delayed cord clamping is when we delay the cord clamping for anywhere from 25 seconds to five minutes or until the cord stops pulsating. And that's important to do because by three minutes of age, more than 90% of that blood that's left in the cord in the umbilical cord is given back to the baby. This prevents them from having any iron deficiency and greatly increases their hemoglobin levels at birth and even months after birth. 
The next thing we talked about was cord milking. And that is basically where you kind of milk the cord to kind of push back as much blood as you can into the baby within about 10 to 15 seconds. It's almost an alternative to delayed cord clamping when you might need some infant resuscitation or the baby might need some help. And it's kind of our little quick way to give some of the blood at least back in the small time frame that we have. The last thing was cord blood banking. And that is the process of actually taking the cord blood and taking the blood out of the cord and storing it in a cord blood bank for possible later use for you, for your family, or publicly storing it. And this is useful in treating diseases that require any stem cell transplants, such as certain kinds of leukemia, lymphoma, aplastic anemia, and severe sickle cell disease. I really enjoyed doing all the research on this podcast because like I said, my hospital, we practice delayed cord clamping. It is very much a standard of care whenever we can, as long as mom is okay after delivery and as long as baby's okay after delivery, we really do always try to delay that cord clamping. But it was really fun for me to kind of dive in. I knew it was obviously for blood volume for iron stores, but it was really cool for me to kind of dive in and actually see the evidence behind it and to kind of learn about cord blood milking as an alternative when we need to and cord blood banking, which I really did not know much about. So I hope this podcast was educational and beneficial. I love learning along with you guys. And if you have any questions, make sure to shoot me over a DM on Instagram. It is what the bump podcast, just at what the bump podcast over on Instagram. And I will see you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next week to talk more about the bump. And of course, I know you all probably know this, but I have to add it in. I make every effort to broadcast correct information through this podcast, but I'm still learning so much. So I am in no way providing medical advice through this podcast, just sharing the things that myself and others have experienced or learned. Make sure to consult your physician before taking anything from this podcast and changing your health. This applies to any guests or contributors that I also have on this podcast.